And hello, everybody. This is Pastor Iris again in the UK, and it's really good to be back with you. And we've got in our virtual studio again, just waiting to talk to you people out there. He loves you all so much. Dr. John Shiva. Hiya, John. Good morning again, Iris, and to everyone listening into your program today. So what have you been up to since we haven't seen you for a whole week? <laughs> <laughs> You've been it, studying, haven't you, to tell us it, more? <laughs> it, it, has been a, it has been a very, very busy week. We're planning weddings here for my youngest daughter and all the other things that are happening. So this is a very, very busy time right now, but it's good. It's all good. That's good. It's good to be good, they say. Yes, yes. And where are, you going? where are we going to start today, John? I mean, there is so much to learn. We need to know so much, yes, but there is so much coming to light these days. Amen. Well, Iris, I, uh, I feel so deep down in my heart about our times together right now and the, the study that we're doing from the Word of God on the last days, the pre-tribulation rapture of the church. And we've been looking at these things line upon line, precept upon precept for a number of weeks. But we have begun a study of what will the church be doing in heaven while all hell breaks out on the earth during the tribulation. Yeah. And we're coming to see a truth that so many people do not have not have not understood because no one's ever taught them. And yet it is a recurring theme throughout all of the Bible about the what we call the judgment seat of Christ. And we we began that study together a couple of weeks ago. And I'd really like us just to pick up where we left off last time, a little bit of review for those that perhaps have not been with us before. And then we're going to take it further today as we begin to understand together a great truth that is in the Bible, but so few people have ever seen it. You know, Hebrews 9.27 says, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. Hebrews 9.27, for it is appointed unto man once to die, and after that the judgment. And so we've read that. That sounds somewhat intimidating, as well it should, if we recognize that every person wants to stand before God, but there are actually two different judgments, two different judgments. The first is found over in Revelation chapter 20, and that judgment will take place at the end of time, and it is called the great white throne judgment, but you and I and our audience today are not going to be included in that judgment. The great white throne judgment is when all the people of the earth that have ever lived 
that have rejected Jesus, have persisted in lawlessness and rebellion against him and have died are going to stand before the judgment seat of God, the great white throne judgment, which is going to be a, a righteous and just sentencing of people, lost people, to eternity without God in hell. And they're going to be they're going to be variations of that. You see, a, a man like Adolf Hitler is going to have a worse judgment on that day than just a person that lived their a good life, lived a somewhat moral, ethical life, but had no time for God. They just lived a good life in their own eyes, but they were never saved. That person will be judged less harshly than an Adolf Hitler, an Osama bin Laden, a person that has wreaked great havoc on mankind will certainly have a, a worse sentence on that day. But not one person who is saved will be there. Not one. You're not going to be there. I'm not going to be there. That will be reserved as God, the final courtroom scene where God judges and sentences a lost and dying world due to their, the degrees of their, their sin against him. However, we as believers are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ which is going to take place sometime immediately after the great rapture, the great catching up of the church. The only people that will be there at that judgment seat of Christ are believers. Now, some people would say, I've never heard such a thing. I thought that there's now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That is absolutely true. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The judgment seat of Christ is not about condemnation. It is not about guilt or innocence. It's not about heaven or hell. The word judgment seat of Christ that we find in the New Testament is actually in the Greek word, the word bema, B-E-M-A. And what bema means is it is a word taken from the original Olympic Games. When athletes would compete in front of a, a panel of judges that would evaluate the athletes who, who perform best in the athletic competitions. And once the competitions were complete, all the athletes would stand before the judgment seat and they would be rewarded based upon their performance. A gold medal would be given, a silver medal, a bronze medal, they had all competed, but those who had competed 
and performed at the highest level were going to be rewarded at the judgment seat, the Bema judgment seat of the Olympics. It is that same word that is used in the New Testament Greek to describe the judgment seat of Christ. It is not a great white throne judgment at the end of the age where people are assigned sentences for punishment, but the judgment seat of Christ is the time that, that we will give an account unto God for our performance, just exactly as would an Olympic athlete. We find that scripturally many, many places, but if you would just indulge me for a moment, let me just touch very quickly on, on three of those. So 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, Paul said, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 9, for those reading along, therefore we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing unto him, just as Greek athletes competing at the Olympic Games did their very, very, very best on that day to be well-pleasing unto the judges in order that they might receive the, the reward. Paul said we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to God. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether it was a good performance or a bad performance. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we are well known to God and also trust are well known in your consciousness. Now, in 1 Corinthians, everyone go back with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul is referring to the exact same thing again, where he wrote to the Corinthians about the ministry of Paul compared to the ministry of Apollos. To all of these ministers, he said, Apollo watered, God gave the increase. So neither is he who plants anything or he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters will each one receive his own reward according to his labor. Now, now, the reason that's so important is every person that labors for Jesus in the earth, let's use a, a local New Testament church, it takes all the members of the body of Christ functioning in their respective roles to make everything happen that needs to be happened. But on that great day at the judgment seat of, of, of Christ, the pastor is going to give an account for how he pastored the church. The associate pastors will give their account for how they assisted in that. The worship leader, the worship team, all the way down to the man who cut the lawn, to the janitor who cleaned the, bath, the bathrooms and mopped the floors and vacuumed the carpet. You see, within that local church, every person 
that had any role of responsibility will be evaluated within their particular realm of responsibility, and each one will receive a reward. Now, what will be what will be very shocking is there will be janitors and nursery workers and choir members that will be rewarded on that great day before the judgment seat of Christ with a greater reward than the man who pastored it because they were faithful to do what God had given them to do more so than he. We won't waste a lot of time on that. Let's go on down a few verses further down. Verse 12 says, speaking of building on the foundation of Jesus, he said, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw, each one's work will become clear for the day, and the word day is capitalized there, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work, which he is built upon, endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, though he himself will still be saved, yet though as through fire. Well, what, what does this say? It says, on that day, we will all stand before the Lord, and all of our works here on the earth that we did, in the name of Jesus, will be judged. And I believe it will be we stand before the holy fire of God. And fire, fire only makes a diamond better. Fire only makes gold better. Fire makes silver better. But fire will burn up wood, hay, and straw. And on that, that day, the works that we did for Jesus will endure and will be rewarded while those works that we did out of the flesh, out of our own ability, for whatever motivation it was done for that was not done for the glory of Jesus, all of that is going to be burned up. Malachi chapter 3 Verse 16, in the Old Testament book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 16, is a, it talks about a book of remembrance, a book of remembrance. Well, what was the book of remembrance? It was all of our works here on the earth. It was not our sins. God does not remember our sins when those sins have been forgiven. There's no remembrance of sin but God has a perfect memory of our works. Let me say that again. God does not remember our sins when those sins are forgiven, but God does remember our works, the things we did for him. Were we faithful or unfaithful? Did we give the glory to God or did we take the glory for ourselves? What was our motivation? Was our motivation to serve Jesus or was it money or, or acclaim or the applause of, of, of people in some way? 
You see, we are going to give an account on that day. And what was done in obedience to Jesus and out of love for Jesus is going to be like gold, silver, and precious stones that will endure forever and ever and ever. And that which was done for any other reason is going to be consumed just like wood and hay and straw when it encounters a fire. Now, the reason, Iris, that I'm so excited about this study that we're all doing together right now is this applies to every one of us. And I believe, I believe Jesus is coming very, very soon. I don't believe it's going to be another 100 years. I don't believe it's going to be another 50 years. I don't believe it will be even probably 25 years. We do not know the date, but we, as we've already studied about Bible prophecy, about the coming of the Lord, every box has now been checked prophetically. There's nothing left now that has to happen. And it, it, it seems that our, our morning newspaper is being taken right out of the word of God. Everything we see happening in Israel, everything we see happening in the Middle East, everything we see happening in Europe with the European Union, globalism, everything we see happening in China with Russia, Ezekiel said in the last days, he said, I will put hooks in the jaws of the nations. And we literally see the nations of the earth as though they are being pulled along like a fish on a fishing line with a hook in their lip, being pulled into their proper position as is recorded in the word of God. We look at social conditions. We look at the spiritual conditions of the church and the world. We look at the lawlessness, the rebellion. Jesus said, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days before the coming of the Lord. Iris, it's just like the days of Noah. Yeah. We look at the, the explosion of knowledge that Daniel talked about, and travel, how people will be able to go to and fro everywhere quickly. I mean, go and stand on the, beside a runway in Heathrow in London or Gatwick and watch the, the, the jetliners taking off every few minutes headed to every corner of the globe. Well, that was what Daniel was prophesying about in Daniel chapter 12, when he talked about people would go to and fro, knowledge would increase. Knowledge is exploding exponentially as we speak. The scientific world is going to know more about science when our program concludes in a few minutes than it does right now when we begin our program. It was all prophesied in the scriptures. So I believe Jesus is coming. 
And if Jesus really is coming, that means the rapture of the church must be imminent. We do not put dates on things because the Bible says no man knows the days nor the day nor the time. But we can see the signs of the times all being fulfilled. And so what that tells me is if we're living in the last days, Jesus is coming, the rapture is coming, we're all getting ready to go to heaven, glory to God. Then we also need to understand we are also standing on the eve of this wonderful, amazing Bema judgment seat of Jesus, where we will give an account for our life. You see, at the moment of the rapture, everything is closed. There's nothing left to do. But right now, as we live our lives, whether Jesus comes another 15 or 20 years, or Jesus comes in another 15 or 20 minutes, how we live our lives today is what we will give an account of at the judgment seat of Christ. Once that is done, you see, the book is closed. There's nothing to be added. There's nothing to be corrected. There's nothing to be taken back. And so this must be understood by every believer of the, the wonderful importance of living in expectation of Jesus coming and living our lives for him because one day, very, very soon, we are going to give an account for all of this. It is not going to be a punishment, but it is going to be a reward-based gathering for God's people in preparation for the marriage supper of the Lamb, in preparation for our coming into the fullness of all of our inheritance in heaven. I want everyone to look with me over at Luke chapter 18. Luke chapter 18. Because one of the things we are going to be giving an account of on that day, and some people will probably listening in today, I hope not, but some may be tempted to be recoil when I say this, but it's in your Bible. It's in your Bible. We don't need to listen to pastor so-and-so, prophet so-and-so, apostle so-and-so, televangelist so-and-so, teacher so-and-so. We need to listen to, to what God says in his word. And the reality is, Jesus spoke more about money and things and possessions than he did about heaven and hell. Jesus spoke more about money, things, possessions, and our attitudes toward those things than he did about Bible study or he did about prayer or some of the most fundamental truths that we live our lives by. Why is it that Jesus gave us more examples about money things, possessions, and the way we relate to those things than he did these, these other things. He gave us these, these many examples because of the great importance that these things have. And so in Luke chapter 18, 
we find a, an amazing story of a young man who came to Jesus. And it says, now a certain ruler asked him, saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good but God. You know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, honor your father and your mother. And he said, all these things I have kept from my youth. And so when Jesus heard these things, he said to him, you still lack one thing. Sell all that you have, distribute to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Now, look at that word, treasure. Treasure. This young man has come to Jesus, and he loves the Lord. He has kept all the commandments. He's obviously a faithful young man. And Jesus said, you lack one thing. But he said, get rid of all this stuff. Sell it and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. He's inviting this young man to become one of his disciples. He's saying, sell all that stuff. Give the money to poor, the poor. All the money that you give away is now on deposit for you in heaven and come and be one of my disciples. And then you can enjoy the wealth when you get over on the other side to heaven. But the Bible says that the young man was deeply sorrowful because he had great possessions and he could not do what Jesus asked him to do. Jesus said, Verse 25, 24, he said, how hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of heaven? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And so what was the eye of the needle? Jesus said it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle. To understand the meaning of that scripture is to understand the eye of the needle. In the ancient Near East, in Jesus's time, cities were fortified by walls to hold back invading armies. And they had gates to the city that were open all day long. But at sundown, the gates were closed so that no army could invade in the middle of the night. But, for people who got back to the city late in, in the night, they did not have to stay outside the city until the next morning for the gates to be open. They had a very narrow hole in the wall. It was a very narrow hole in the wall that they could walk in, but you couldn't get an army through it, but one person at a time could walk in. But if you had a camel that was loaded down with boxes and freight, that camel will go through the, that hole, but you're not going to get all that, all that stuff on the camel's back through the, that hole as well. And so they had to offload that stuff, take all the baggage, take all the luggage, 
take all the boxes, the whatever it was the camel was carrying, you had to take all of that off, and then the camel could go through, and then you could bring the stuff in after the camel had gone through. But that hole in the wall of the city was known as the eye of the needle. And that's what Jesus was referring to, that it is easier to get a fully loaded camel through the eye of the needle than it is to get people that love all their money, love all their stuff, love all their possessions and all their things. It's hard to get them through. And that's what he had identified in this young man's life. The Bible says the young man went away deeply sorrowful for he had great possessions. Now, Jesus had called him to become a disciple. And I'm so thankful today that the gifts and callings of God are without repentance. At once God extends the invitation, it remains in effect. We, we don't hear any more from this young man in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But we do hear from him in the book of Acts and in the New Testament because Jewish history tells us the story of who this was. And the rich young ruler that had all of this stuff that he couldn't do it, could not get, sell it and give the money to the poor when Jesus asked him to, in time, he did exactly that he gave it all to the poor. And though he's not mentioned in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, he is a foundation stone in the New Testament church in the book of Acts. His name was Barnabas, the same Barnabas who traveled with the apostle Paul and saw God use him in a great way. Now, Iris, the reason I tell that story today is to underscore this truth. If we are not faithful, if we are not faithful with money and things and possessions here, we are never going to be able to fulfill our heavenly calling. We're not going to, it's not, it will be just like the camel loaded down with stuff that will not be able to slip through the eye of the needle into the place of blessing on the other side until we deal with this. Okay, why am I talking about this? 94% of Christians do not tithe. 94% of Christians do not tithe. Most Christians barely even give God offerings at all. Now, let me say this. God doesn't need anything. God does not need money. God does not need possessions. God does not need anybody to help him pay heaven's bills. But God wants our hearts and our love. And until we can love him with abandonment, and serve him and worship him, even as it relates to money and things and possessions, we are never going to fulfill our heavenly calling on the earth. And on that day that we stand before him, on that day, there are going to be rewards that we are not going to receive 
that rightfully should have been ours. Look with me over at Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12. And let's begin with verse 13. Well, let's, let's skip down a little further. Let's go to verse 16, Luke 12, 16. And Jesus spoke a parable to them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, since I have no room to store my crops? And so he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now, it is appointed unto man, every man, every woman, every person dies. And whatever we have done for, for Jesus on this earth with our goods, with our finances, with our money, whatever we have done here is transferred over to the other side. Jesus is talking about this wealthy man that has all this land and all these crops. And he builds bigger barns to store all of his crops. And he sees all this stuff and it, it's, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy, I'm wealthy. I've got all this stuff. And he said, the man is, is a fool because he does not know that this night his soul will be required of him. And, and he, he said, and, and when that happens tomorrow, who will all this belong to? Now, I think many times we read that scripture only from one perspective. We take it from the perspective that this man put all of his faith and trust in, in, his, in his wealth. And that night he died and went to hell. Well, that is one interpretation of the scripture. That is one interpretation of the scripture. That may very well have been. We've all known the stories of wealthy people, extremely wealthy people, wherever they may have been in business, they may have been in, they have, may have been in entertainment, they may have been in music, they may have been superstars. And suddenly they died and their wealth was no longer any good to them. And, and they died without Jesus. And so they probably went, if they died without Jesus, they did go to hell. But Iris, that same scripture can apply to believers. That same scripture can apply to believers that live their lives on the earth, holding on to their money, hoarding their money, taking that money that could have been invested in the preaching of the gospel, could have been invested in feeding the hungry, providing shelter to the poor, being a blessing to other people, 
and and doing the the things that God told us to do. And had we done it with that money, that money would have gone into, and I'm going to show you a scripture right now, as as not being treasure on the earth, but it would represent for us treasure in heaven. And as Jesus said, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. There are people that, there are Christians that live their lives hoarding money, Christians that live their lives with big bank accounts that do very little for the gospel. And they're wealthy here. They do nothing for the gospel. They get to the other side. They're, they go to heaven, but in heaven, they have no treasure. Yeah. They left it here on the earth. And so when we give, it is a, it is a transaction of not being at loss here, but it is a transaction whereby we take things that God has given us to steward while we were here on the earth, and we use those things for his glory here, and it provides for us riches that are in heaven. Look with, back with me at Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, verse 19, where Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth, moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's nothing wrong with having a savings account. There's nothing wrong with having a retirement of fund, an emergency fund with some resources. But Jesus said all of those things can be taken from you. But that which we give unto him will remain forever in heaven as treasure that we've put there. And if you really want to see what people love the most, go see where they spend their money. The money will always tell the story. All right, look with me now at Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we see another reference to this. And, and Iris, I'm not, I'm not even covering all the scriptures that we could today. I'm just hitting a few of the high points where the Apostle Paul talked about the giving of the church at Philippi. And he said, you Philippians know, Philippians 4 verse 14, that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. And look what Paul is saying here. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Paul said, you've supported my ministry. And you've been very generous in your support. And he said, I thank God for that support. He said, I don't need it. He said, I don't need it. 
I have everything that I need is all supplied. But he said, the thing that I'm so excited about, about your giving is that giving is being reserved for you, is being credited and reserved for you and is bearing fruit that is abounding. You see, when we give to God, it's not, it's not apples and apples and oranges and oranges, bananas. And, but no, what we give to God is being multiplied and increased yeah. in our heavenly account. Paul said that the gift that you've given, the fruit that abounds to your account. He said, I have all and I'm abounding. I'm full, having received from Epaphroditus the things you sent, a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Amen. So we can see here, we can see here very clearly a pattern of truth that Jesus talked about, Paul talked about. I want us to go now over to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 22. Revelation 22 verse 7 says, Behold, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he who keeps the word of the prophecy of this book. Now look at verse 12. Revelation 22, 12. Jesus said, Behold, he's saying it again, I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm going to be there soon. I'm coming like a thief in the night at an hour that you don't expect it. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. I'm coming quickly. He said, I am coming quickly and my reward is with me to give to everyone according to his work. There it is. Jesus is saying, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. And I'm coming with a reward to give to everyone at the Bema judgment seat of Christ according to their faith. No. Their talent? No. Their good intentions? No. What their their dreams? No. What they were trying to do? No. He said, I'm coming quickly to give to everyone according to his work. Now, Jesus is talking here about not just our works, but how we've treated money and the heavenly accounts and treasures in heaven and being rich toward God. Now, let me, let me show you another scripture, Luke chapter 21, and I've got to hurry, hurry, hurry. Luke chapter 21. This amazing, amazing offering that was given in Luke chapter 21. Verse 1, Jesus looks up 
and saw the rich putting their gifts into the treasury. And he saw a certain poor widow putting in two mites. He stopped the meeting. He said, truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all for all of these others out of their abundance have put offerings to God, but she out of her poverty put in all the livelihood that she had. This widow has just given two little worthless pieces of tin. And 2000 years later, we still have the record of her offering to read which illustrates it has absolutely nothing to do with the monetary value, but the heart that motivates the giving. You see, God is not more impressed with the amount. The thing that impresses God is the heart of the giver who desires to give. Yeah. It's just that simple. One of the most amazing stories I've ever heard was from a missionary friend of mine that had a, a wonderful impact on my life. He was a missionary for over 40 years in Africa. He's in heaven now. He's been in heaven, oh, I guess probably 20 years now. But in the early days of his ministry, he and his wife went to a dark region of Africa. They built a little, a little mud hut in the middle of nowhere and began their ministry to the people in a tribe nearby. These were very, very, very primitive culture. And so they had been there and had seen people saved, had started a little church, and, and they were discipling people in that, in that little African village. And one day he saw a group of children go running past him, yelling and picking up rocks. And he saw the form of a person over in the, in the jungle area, the trees on the edge of the village. And these children were running and throwing their rocks and screaming at something, and he saw the form of a person running off into the woods. And so he inquired of the people in the village of what that was all about. They said, that's the devil woman. That's the devil woman. And he wanted to know more about it. Well, to make a long story short, years before, there was a, a man and his wife that were a part of that tribe. And the wife had given birth to a little girl who was horribly deformed. She had horrible physical deformities, a huge open cleft palate under her nose, just a gaping hole, twisted limbs, and, and just, just, a, a severely, severely handicapped child. But the mother and father loved that little girl as a little baby. That was their baby girl and all these other things, they didn't care. But disease came through the village and the husband died. 
The husband died and left just the mother to raise the little girl. And the little girl was maybe eight or nine years old. And sickness came again and the mother died. And the little eight or nine year old girl was now left on her own in the village with no family. And the village began to turn against her when she did not have a mother any longer. And they believed that her physical handicaps were because of, of the devil, that she must have a devil. And they would not allow her to live in the village any longer. And they drove her into the jungle. But she lived alone as a child and in her teenage years outside the village, but she wanted to stay close to the village. And she just kind of made it the best way she could as eating whatever she could find, slipping into the village in the middle of the night, looking for any garbage or anything that had been thrown away. And so the missionary told everybody there, you leave her alone. Nobody ever hurts her again. And so he and his wife started putting food out by the edge of the village. Every night at dinner time, they would put food out because they knew she was out there somewhere watching. And she would come and she would find a plate of, of whatever they had for dinner. And slowly but surely, she got closer and closer that she would be standing there waiting for him to bring a plate of food for her to eat every night at dinner. And she, she began to trust my missionary friend that he would not hurt her and he was wanting to help her. And finally in time, he was able to touch her and make her to understand that she's a friend. And they invited her to come and he built a little, he built a little hut next to the hut that he and his wife lived in. And that was now her home in the village. And when they ate, she ate. And what they had, she had. And he was able to incorporate her back into the society with all of her handicaps. Well, they had had a good ministry there. But there came a time to build a church building. And so the missionary already had the funds. He didn't need money from these desperately poor Africans in this remote village. But he wanted for them to feel a part of giving to God to build a church. And so he told them in four weeks, we are going to receive an offering for the construction of our new church. And you're to spend the next four weeks working to secure your offering to help build our church building. He already had the money to build a pole barn. But pray and believe with me for everything we need. Well, a day or so after that, the young girl disappeared. They began to look for her everywhere. She was nowhere to be found. They finally decided 
that she must have gone to the river to bathe and a crocodile probably got her. And a crocodile just appeared, grabbed her. She was all of her handicap. She couldn't run very fast. A crocodile got her, drug her back into the water, drowned her, ate her, and she was gone. And everybody was deeply saddened. And so a couple of more weeks went by, and it, Sunday comes that they're going to receive the offering. And on that Sunday morning, the girl is back. She did not have arms that were fully functional, just these little short, stubby appendages. But they realized she was carrying this big wooden bowl in these little stubby arms. And they began to inquire. And she remembered as a young child how she and her mother would go many, many miles away, travel many miles away to a peanut farm. And after they had harvested all the peanuts, she and her mother would go and dig in the dirt and look for peanuts that they had missed. And this young girl with withered arms and twisted legs had traveled that far trip, miles. She had somehow made it. And had gone out and had scratched in the dirt with her feet because her, she didn't have enough arms to do it. But, but pawing the ground like an animal, digging in the dirt, looking for peanuts. And then she would get them and put them in her bowl. And somehow or another, she had walked all of those many miles back, bringing that bowl of peanuts to give in the offering for the building. And as the people were coming forward to give their offerings, this young girl, stumbling in a halted fashion, comes forward to the front of the church with her big bowl of peanuts. But at the last moment, right before she got there, something happened, something slipped, and that bowl of peanuts flipped. And the peanuts went scattering everywhere. And my missionary friend said, I have never heard a greater sound of pain, suffering, agony, and heartbreak than what came out of that young girl's mouth. It was the end of her world. She had worked so hard for weeks to get up that bowl of peanuts. And now she dropped it. And in that moment, she thought it was lost. He said, I immediately jumped to say, honey, it's okay. It's all right. It's fine. And we, we'll pick them up. We'll pick them up. We're going to pick up all the peanuts, put them back in the bowl. Nothing's harmed. Nothing's lost. Everything's fine. But my friend said, John, he said, as I began to move, to assist her. He said, the power of the Holy Spirit came all over me. He said, I heard the voice of the Lord say to me, do not touch this. 
but stand and look and see. For this is the greatest offering that you will ever see in your ministry. And my friend, my friend told me, he said, John, on, on a numerous occasions in my life, I've had wealthy people give me a check for a million dollars. He said, I've had many offerings of half a million dollars. I've had many, many, many offerings of $100,000 or $50,000. But said, God has allowed me in my ministry to have millions and millions and millions of dollars to come into the ministry for the gospel all across the continent of Africa. But he said, the greatest offering to God that I've ever seen was not the million dollar checks. It was this handicapped girl and her bowl of peanuts and her hard work to bring that in. It was not that long, few years after that, that that young girl got sick and she died mm -hmm. and she went to heaven. But Iris will be there on that day with her. With her. You see, the judgment seat of Christ hasn't. I promise you this, she's not handicapped today. Yeah. She's an absolutely stunning, gorgeous, gorgeous woman in heaven, whole. Amen completely whole. Amen. But on that day, she will be rewarded for all of eternity because of her heart and her work and her labor to gather up a big wooden bowl of peanuts. You see, Malachi 3.16, and we're going to close. Malachi 3.16 says there is a book of remembrance yeah. in heaven. And it is that book of remembrance that God has written about your life and my life and all of our friends, our brothers and sisters. There's a book of remembrance of every one of us. And in that book is written everything we did for Jesus on the earth. And a big part of that is everything we gave in tithes, everything we gave in offerings, everything we gave of our possessions, of what we did on the earth to be good stewards of what God gave us in our hands. There is a book of remembrance in heaven for all of us today. And on that great judgment seat of Christ, that book will be opened. And everything that was gold and silver and precious stones is going to be rewarded. And everything that was wood, hay, and straw is going to be burned up. But we will live in the blessing and the wealth of everything. No one has ever given anything to Jesus in this life that will not be given back abounding on the other side yeah. at the judgment seat of Jesus. Wow. Wow.
is your breathless. So we're not finished already, are we? I mean, my goodness. It looks like it. But we're going to pick up next week. So. Yeah, brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. You know, as I've said before, John, when we're into the word of God, everything else is absorbed, isn't it? It's amazing. Absolutely wow. amazing. And especially, especially now that, that so much more is actually being revealed to make sense. And that's more the people that have studied the, the Hebrew and goodness knows what to come up with the tra right translations, really, as well, isn't that? Yes. A lot of study has gone into, into those practices. Absolutely amazing. Wow. Well, I don't know when Jesus is coming, except to say he's coming soon. Yeah. And he's coming for his bride. But on that day, there will be a glorious Bema judgment seat of Christ. And rewards are going to be given to the church that has been faithful. Amen. Amen. Well, it really is then. That's absolutely where we're going to have to leave it for today. I'm really looking forward to the next episode. It's really <laughs> exciting. <laughs> so we just say bye-bye to everybody out there. And uh, we promise you, God willing, we will be back. Won't we, John? We will be back if Jesus doesn't come before next time. Oh, yes, that's important. If Jesus comes, <laughs> sorry, we'll see you later in heaven. <laughs> ne next week's can is cancelled. So. Yes, it will be. <laughs> no notices required, though. <laughs> no. All right. Bye-bye, everybody. Be blessed. Have a wonderful week ahead.